dental marketing theory is turning one. Here are 11 of the most valuable insights from our first year. On this Greatest Hits episode of DMT, Gary highlights some of the most useful ideas that our guests have shared over the first year. Dive in for a concentrated dose of industry wisdom and thank you for the last year. All right, so this is episode two with Dr. Ryan and he's with Simplified. If you don't know who they are, They've blown up since the last time that we've talked to them. We use their SaaS product all the time for our clients to generate more leads to our websites. And you got to take a listen to this. This was one of my favorite clips. It actually performed really well. Now, I will say our video quality is horrible here. So forgive us for that. You need to be able to measure cost per lead, how much in a lead is an actual person, not somebody clicking on something. Got to define that. Cost per lead, cost per acquisition. How much did it cost to drive somebody through your door? Most people can't answer that question. Most practices can't figure that no. out. And that's crucial. You have to know that number. If you don't know how much it is to drive somebody in the door, you can't scale. Like you you can, but you're guessing. And then exactly. uh, number three is lifetime value or ROI. You need to be able to actually look at, and the reason I say lifetime value, it depends on how you look at it. Not at averages though. That's what a lot of people do is they go, oh, my average lifetime value is this. So then I got 10 people. So it's this, but marketing yeah. always performs differently. Real. Sometimes they buy way more. Sometimes they buy way less. And so you need to be able to look at what's my same day. What's my 30 day. What's my 90 day ROI on those numbers. This particular clip is from my friend, Josie. If you don't know Josie, she's now with the DEO and she actually hinted in this episode of where she was planning on going and all the transitions that she's having. And it's been so cool to watch her bring that to fruition. And you're really gonna enjoy this clip with her. What do you think one of the biggest misunderstanding about culture is? So what is the assumptions that people make about culture? Not necessarily a myth, but just as an assumption that this is how culture works. And then you're like, no, it's either more complicated or it's totally opposite of that. Well, a couple of things come to mind. One is that you cannot delegate, outsource, or ignore it. That it requires a lot of time and attention and intention. And the other one is really that we cannot separate our personal life and our professional life. Culture is not kombucha and snacks right? Or casual Fridays. Ping pong tables. Yeah, ping pong tables, right? It is not ping pong tables. So there's a lot of flashy things that people say, I have a great culture because they have these like frivolous things. And yet to me, culture is really about the connection of people. And as leaders and employers, we're not taught, nor do we know how to actually connect with people. And we have this expectation when you walk through that door, like you leave your crap at home, at home. And yet, you know, if I have a child with special needs and I've been up all night or he's diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, I can't turn that off. Or vice versa. If you have a bad day at work and everybody yells at you, you can't just walk home and just be like, hey, everything's great, right? So it's, it goes both ways. In episode nine, I had Margaret come on and she was one of the leaders in Clear Choice as they scaled their business. And she shared what it was like being one of the first female entrepreneurs that was leading the way in the dental industry. You've been in the dental industry now for a while. So what's one of the biggest changes that you've seen when you started with Clear Choice to today that's happened inside the dental industry? Huh. I think there are more and more women in positions of leadership. 
I typically was the only woman on the executive team. And to some extent, I really think that drove my kind of no-nonsense approach. Or some people have said to me, some docs have said to me, somehow you can yell at me and I am all in. You're just very straightforward. And I'm like, okay, I think that's a good thing. I'm also very data-based because I had to bring data to be believed, frankly. There was no innate belief in me and my leadership skill. So I had to bring data. So when you started in the industry, you were the only female on your team or is it, was it, what was it like when you got started? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I hired some on my team, but in the early days of clear choice, I was doing doctor recruiting and hiring just because what you have to do everything. So I was doing doctor recruiting and hiring and I really was going after um, female docs. And I was questioned about that. Like, hmm, this is like kind of a new phenomenon. We're not sure how, what they'll be like as a leader in the practice. And I was like, give me a break. Would you agree that we could try it with two people and we'll monitor outcomes and then we'll go from there? That's hard to say no to. So they're like, yeah, I mean, they are just as successful as any other gender out there, right? So it's been wonderful, I think, to see. I just don't think we have enough voices of diversity in the industry mm-hmm. yet, whether it's female, whether it's you know different genders, whether it's different ethnicities, it doesn't matter. We don't have enough diversity in dental, I don't think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's been one of the bigger changes that you've seen since you've started is that it, that started to change and people are moving in the right direction on that. And obviously, t- to your point, that needs to continue to happen. In episode 17, my friend Chelsea came in and helped us on how to transition our mindset from having scarcity to abundance. For those listening, I know one of the things that you do is mindset coaching. Could you break that down for us? Yeah. Um, I think the way that I would think about it is, you know, I've been flying a lot lately. So this example just comes to mind when you say that, but, um, before you take off, they're always going through their tutorial about how to use the oxygen masks and to make sure that you put yours on first, that you don't pass out helping other people. And the thing about being a high performer is that we generally have a really high tolerance for involved or emotionally charged situations. And that's a really good thing. Um, but because we're so engaged in all of the moving parts, we may not be atten- uh, attentive to our maxing out point. And so um, when we're maxing out, we're no longer delivering the same connection, the same results. We're not able to create useful energy or be as productive, right? And so we've got to put that oxygen mask on ourselves first. And um, so our clinicians, it's so important because they are leading teams. They're leaving impressions on the community and they're oftentimes building families of their own. And if they're not getting what they need, they're not going to be able to step up as an owner. So examples of personal oxygen might be um, daily habits like morning meditation or workouts, their writing, reading, taking a break from tech, making time for hobbies. These are all um, components of what I would describe as managing your mind around the developmental processes involved in becoming a dental entrepreneur. I love that. Yeah. And that's um, 
that's I love when you talk about these kind of things because I always feel like <laughs> you're talking to me, right? Like I'm like, oh yeah, I need to I need to start doing those things, right? And 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 I always try to get better, right? I have a morning routine, I work yeah. out, all those kind of things. But these are all things that I've added over time to help me get better. And I know that you help build mindsets or or mental frameworks for people to work through. I love your airline example of the air masks falling down because that's 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 exactly what it is. You can't go and put everybody else's air mask on until you take care of yours. Dr. Berger in episode 18, a doctor who has worked at Heartland for many years, came out of dental school and he was surprised at how much debt he had racked up. Stay tuned. So you're in Arizona, you go to dental school and you finish up there. Were you in were you in quite a bit of debt at that point or what was the landscape of dental school at that time the the debt the debt question comes up uh heck yeah man i had to take out the full amount because i i don't ha- i didn't have a job at the time i mean i, I gave up my career to go be a full-time student uh, so i paid the fifty six thousand dollars in tuition using fed loan or one of the private loans that you get i also had to take out money for living expenses uh, my wife needed to find a job in arizona so took out the full amount all four years, man. And just to be transparent, because I know there's a lot of dentists that are going to be listening to this. Um, I graduated with $399,000 in debt. So four, so and 400 day after 400 K in debt, 400 yeah. even man. And er, the day I graduated, they gave you a letter literally in an envelope un, uh, to each student. And it showed you what your debt was and how much the interest was that had accrued over those four years, which was $60,000 in interest that had accrued Why from the first to one to the fourth wow. one. Yeah. So, so they handed me a $460,000 bill that I had to sign that I understood that I, I would be responsible for that. So your final bill, um, just, so yeah, man, just, I with, just so we're on the same page, your final bill was 460. So it was 400 plus the 60 in interest. That's correct. Wow. It was four sixty one uh, when I graduated. I paid I paid um, monthly payments like two thousand dollars a month for two straight years, every single month for two years, and at the end of those two years, I was at four sixty because I was literally Just only paying the paying interest, the interest yeah. for those two mm-hmm. years. So I was like, babe, can you believe we literally paid payments to not make it go up further or to go down lower? We just literally, st- man, that that that. It's so crazy to me, but um, that's, the racket, that's what I had to do, man. That was my yeah. story. That was the cards that I was that I was dealt. My friend and mentor, D. Fisher. I'm sure you know who she is. You're going to really enjoy this clip from episode 19, where she gives us a peek inside of why you should start speaking last and not first if you're a leader. Most of the people I work with are good people. They want their team to win. They want to win, but that alignment doesn't happen. And so it doesn't happen. What's preventing them from kind of hearing what's going on or listening the right way? So I always tell everybody, when you are going into a meeting, you as the leader speak last. You have to listen first. And if you can develop that skill, and sometimes it's hard, if you can develop that skill, you are listening. And while you're listening, you're actively engaged. You don't have a cell phone going off. You know, you're looking at that person and and you're really taking it in. Um, And I also think a good listener repeats back what they heard um, because we want to make sure what, you know, because we all have different perspectives, correct? Mm -hmm. So my two things that I say is speak last, repeat back and get the confirmation that you really heard what they said. And all of a sudden, you know, Gary, it's funny. It's like, okay, we have spouses and, you know, my spouse knows when I'm really listening and when (laughs) I'm not, (laughs) this is part of the game. Um, so really hone in on that when you're, when, you know, and that, that's a, that's a trick 
Um, and it's not easy. It's like you got to really speak last. In episode 22, my entrepreneur hero in the dental space, Emmett Scott, shares with us some of the struggles that people deal with when they're scaling their culture in the dental industry. I know one of the things that you've gotten really honed in on, and I know it's a hot button topic for everybody, is um, around culture, like the the and and, and getting behind like you, the why you're doing this. Um, and so you shared up front, you're doing this to help your friend, and that's how you look at it. And I love that mindset of from a DSO standpoint. But now you're knee deep in it, and you're seeing all these problems. So why do you continue to do it? Well, let's sit on the culture piece for a minute. I, I think there's kind of extremes out there. There's those who think of culture as like nap times and bring your dog to work and all of those things. <laughs> and then there's those who believe like, you know, culture's crap and, you know, just get your job done. Mm -hmm. I, I think at the essence, we have to know that as strategic as we try to be around locations and patients and treatment coordination and so forth, the entire infrastructure of dental and many other businesses are just a bunch of humans working together, mm -hmm. right? To, to get to an outcome. We don't necessarily have like a special software like Facebook, right? That's running algorithms and helping us generate income. You know, you could argue even in those businesses is a bunch of humans who have to do the programming and everything yeah. else, but especially in healthcare, the culture is really the operating system by which all of us know how to behave, especially when the boss isn't there anymore. I think for most people, the reason they don't have to worry about culture is if you've got a big personality and your entire operation is in four walls, when you show up every day, you're setting the culture, Yeah, right? Everyone, okay. Dr. Emmett's coming in, right? And this is, oh, he's in a good mood. Okay, great. We're going to behave like the, oh, he's in a bad mood. Everyone knows how to behave around that. That yeah. kind of is defining the culture. When you get into scaling and you're in multiple locations and you can't influence that, you have to be very proactive about who are we, why are we doing what we're doing so that people know how to show up every day and how I to behave it. with one another. And think about just from a, like a therapy perspective, how many family, everyone just came out of Thanksgiving, right? It was like, you know, all these, and that's your own family coming yeah. together. Think of all these multiple families all in a practice with, you know, what, how they think being friendly is in their family versus this one thinks being friendly is, you <laughs> or know, being so, friendly in California versus being friendly in New Jersey. You know what I mean? Exactly. So how do you bring that all together? I think that's why culture and focusing on it is so important. And, if you're not focused on it, you still have one, right? It's not like yeah. culture just goes away. It's just you're not controlling it proactively. So so one of the key words you said is why we're doing this, right? Like what's the why behind what we're doing is, do you guys rally around that as a culture or what do you rally around? How are you rallying? Yeah, we're revolutionizing dental care by taking care of underserved patients and creating an amazing doctor, staff and patient experience. So for us, really rallying around the underserved markets is important to us. I, I think if you know, if I was giving someone some advice, maybe a couple resources to go create culture would be um, Patrick Lencioni's book, uh, "The Advantage." He's got like six questions, and what I really like is he's not big into vision mission statements. He just says, "Just create a mantra that everyone can remember and utilize." 
And now every department's created a mantra under our umbrella mantra. I, I think his questionnaire, his six questions, super simple, quick way to get there and say, okay, why do we exist? Who are we trying to serve? You know, what, what's the impact we want to have? And just make sure that that can't be misunderstood. Dr. Nacho himself shared how not everybody likes him. You're going to be shocked at what he says on this one. There's a current movie that's wonderful called Encanto. We've watched it 10 times. It is written by the world treasure Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's also the one who has written Hamilton. If you read the reviews of those movies, someone does not like them. Most people do, some don't. I put those in the notch. So for a reverse thing, do not overvalue, it's a Gary Vee thing, small bits of negative criticism because it's impossible for everyone to like you and you wouldn't want them to. If we're eating a plate of nachos and Gary, I say these are great and you think they're spicy, same nachos. I like him, you don't. Now, if you consistently get feedback about a problem, the manager at your office is rude. Or the, the chips are soggy or up, whatever. The chips are soggy. Dig into it, to use a nacho thing, and see what you can fix before you fire, right? People are so talk- people are talking about firing all the time. I, I, I can barely get people to work with me. <laughs> I try to work, like I have this Emith Revisited book near me at all times, and I have the checklist manifesto. And right, and the Emith Revisited, it talks about get sort of the least trained people possible to work with you productively, not in a mean way, but like if I had to show up at your organization tomorrow, Gary, and people are like, Paul doesn't freaking know anything about Facebook ads. It'd be like, but he's working here. Let's get him competent. So I try to say, hey, if we get feedback, let's see what we can fix before we fire. Um, and that's what I, I strive to do with my team, make them feel supported, make them feel like I have their back, but also be willing to have friendly, uncomfortable conversations. You know, uh, someone gets seated five minutes late for their crown. It's not as big a deal as if our sterilizer is not working right. That's an enormous deal. Yeah. I think a lot of leaders don't prioritize their intensity and by intensity Mm -hmm. means stress. I think a lot of times they make their team feel just as mad as if there's a posted on the floor as if they forgot to get an implant for a case. I think that's why their team gets confused. And I strive not to do that with mine. In episode 34, my friend, the mayor of dental, Amal from Patient Prism, gives us a breakdown on how AI works within dental. So I think there is a big opportunity diagnosis. There's a huge opportunity giving the same thing for case acceptance. I think uh, people are going to trust a machine uh, maybe not today, but in the next five years, people are like, all right, well, I see that the machine has said that. I think it's going to do wonders to um, uh, to the product. Pearl uh, about a week ago announced that they got the first approval uh, for chair side real time uh, detection in front of the patient. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, that's a big deal. Until now, uh, you couldn't show this to the patient. Uh, now you have chair side real time detection that can be seen by the patient right in the chair. What was the hang up there? Why, and, and why wouldn't they let them, why did they have to take so long to get chair side approval? I, I think it was just a matter of FDA finding enough evidence that this is good. Got it. Right? So, so FDA finally decided to, you know, offer the first, the first grant was, I'm sure other people will follow, but Pearl is the only one today, their product called second opinion, which has been widely used in Europe and Australia and New Zealand now, now you have the ability. Now it's going to be like, okay, well, patient, here's what the computer yeah. said. In episode 39, Dr. Ahmad shares with us how having the right data inside of your practice helps you make the right decisions. 
less than 2% dedicated to business management, you know, so wow. less than 2% of the entire curriculum is dedicated to practice ownership. And that might be sprinkled in like D1, D2. So by the time you graduate, you don't even remember anything. You know, you barely remember what, what, you, what you did last semester, you know, and now they want you to remember some vague concepts that they sprinkled on you in like your second year of, of your, uh, you know, dental school. Um, so it, it's really, our whole thing is we want to empower doctors. You know, one of the things that really upsets me is that going through dental school was absolutely the worst four years of my life. It is freaking brutal. It is so difficult. It is so consuming. It is, like there's so much that you have to put in to, to make it through that experience. Um, so you know, dentists when they graduate, they're they're very smart people. You know, they're we're, we're not stupid. They're they're extremely intelligent. When we're treated by some of these like you know coaches or consultants or or you know even like you know industry uh, leaders, and they kind of make you feel like you don't know anything. That's what, you know, where we kind of wanted to say, like, no. So like, walk me through, walk me through how you're solving. Yeah, let's talk about that, because I think that's a big one. So what, walk me through how you solve that, right? Like, what, how are you solving this and empowering the dentist so they don't get put in those positions? So, for example, I want them to be able to make um, smart decisions at the end of the day. So, for example, let's say you're a hygienist, you're paying her 50 bucks an hour. Okay. And she comes and she tells you, I want to make $65 an hour, right? I read on some Facebook group somewhere that doctors in California are paying their hygienist $65 an hour. I think I deserve $65 an hour. I want to take the emotional aspect out of decision-making. So emotionally, a dentist might hear that and be like, screw you, you're fired. I'm not going to give you, that's all you're going to get. But that's not what a smart business person does. A smart business person will actually look at the facts and they're going to make a decision based on the facts and not on the emotions. So if we have a tool where I can show the doctor, well, this hygienist that's asking you for $65 an hour, she's actually producing on average $150 an hour for you. So is that the smart thing to do is to let her go? And the national average might be $120 an hour. So if I already have a superstar who's already producing 20 or 30% higher than what the national average of what a hygienist produces per hour she deserves $65 an hour. Why should I say no to that? That's where we're going with Casper is that we empower doctors to make decisions based on facts, mm-hmm. not yep. based on emotions, not based on what they think, not based. No, these are the facts. The decision is clear. So now when I'm talking to this hygienist, you know what? You deserve it. Or you know what? I can't do it because look at where you are compared yep. to where I need to be. In episode 40, Dr. Eric Roman from the DEO shares with us why it's so hard to scale culture inside of your dental practice. What are your thoughts on culture and how that should look inside of a dental practice and really inside of a, a DSO? What I And this is something that I've noticed from the outside is that you'll talk to a DSO and they're like, we have amazing culture. And you, you meet with the DSO folks and they do, but then you talk to the people who work at the office and they're like, I hate it here, right? Like, like there's almost two cultures going on right now. And it's, it seems like there are some people that are solving that and working on that. But what are, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, there's a lot. You know, the first thing I want to point out, like everybody's talking about it, but it's hard, dude. Like if culture was easy, everybody would be happy right now. And as much as uh, um, every dental conference I go to, that's all anybody wants to talk about is culture. But to your point, uh, our scores aren't as good as we think they are. 
And, you know, and we're, you know, we all live with a certain amount of self-deception about what's really going on in our culture too. And so, you know, the other thing is that culture is expensive. I got to be really culture. Culture sounds like a great investment to make until you're pushing out the money and, and like not getting benefits. Like it's like, Oh, we should probably give our team amazing health benefits. Right. And it's like, well, that's expensive. You know, you know, one of the things that, um, like the, the, the easy thing about culture is trail mix, kombucha and benefits. Like we think that's what our culture is, right? Like, oh, we've got a kombucha bar. We've got, and that's actually not culture. The hard thing about culture is it's our actual behaviors and our actual integration and like being true to what we said. And that's hard as crap. And that's why culture doesn't turn out the way we think. And so to your point, about what happens in DSOs, my experience is we have a macro culture and we have micro cultures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we experienced in our own in our own dental group this started happening because, <laughs> like, we had we had the macro culture, which was a a small set of shared behaviors and values that really define who the right people are, the things that we have fun doing, how we interact with ourselves and our and our patients, right? That's the macro. But the other thing we discovered is we had to, instead of trying to force all that macro culture down everybody's throats, we realized microcultures were still important, right? And that they were still going to happen no matter what. And what I mean by a microculture is we, like, we realized we had this office that was like just a bunch of nerds. And I love nerds, but they were like into, um, crazy role play games like like these uh like dungeons and dragons and all these they they had this kitschy culture that was their own that was important for us to leave space for because what happens in the world is we try to make our macro cultures just so strong that it forces out anything else we had to learn that what that what best served both our patients and our teams was that we left a little bit of room for a microculture that wasn't ever in contrast that could be in harmony with the macroculture of the organization. Um, for us to think that in these mega dental groups of a thousand locations and stuff like that, that we can have one, one macroculture that everybody shares, that's just crap, dude. Like, come on. That doesn't happen in any company. And it's also not what our new generational dynamic of team members wants to own. 